welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. All right. He's not even here, and he's tricky. Uh, I'm Greg Wendell. I'm your missionary to Kenya. I'm glad to be home. This is my home church. Uh, just like as you look in the book of Acts, <clears throat> Paul and Silas were sent by the authority of the church at Antioch. I've been sent to Kenya by the authority of Calvary Baptist Church here in Taylorville. And uh, so we go, uh, Michelle and I go, we try to teach people the Bible and theology and try to help African pastors establish Baptist churches. And you play a major role in that. I appreciate your support in helping us do what we do over there. Uh, maybe just a few things. Uh, this morning, uh, it's kind of like my debut with uh, my son-in-law, Dr. Samuel Lacey. Uh, playing, I had to go home and get a tissue because of the <laughs> He did a good job. Uh, I, since I've been back, I think I've been catching every uh, virus that I've missed out on in the past five years. So uh, if you see me as some kind of a biological threat, you won't hurt my feelings if you scoot back a bit. <laughs> uh, in 2004, uh, some of you are new, so I'll just tell you, uh, my hand doesn't work because in 2004, I was, I was on my way to church on a motorcycle. I hit a tractor and uh, paralyzed some things on my right side. I can't open my hand, and so that's what's going on there. And normally, I wear contacts uh, so I can see, and this morning I don't have contacts in. I can see, I can see what I'm trying to read, but I can't see you. And so, <laughs> if, if I'm trying to see you, I'm not trying to do a Joe Biden impression. Uh, <laughs> I just can't see very well. Uh, I spent uh, more than a decade in a church down in uh, Springfield, Missouri with uh, Dr. Hunter Sherman. He was my teacher in Bible college. He is also my pastor at church. And, uh, they, uh, weekly, they would do a bulletin, and uh, he would give the challenge, there's a mistake in here. Let's see if you can find it. And so following after my pastor in Springfield, Missouri, I'm telling you, there's a mistake in here. Let's see if you can find it. <laughs> I, th I think maybe you'll see it as we go. Uh, pastor has been going through Ephesians, uh, and just back in chapter 5, uh, he introduced the idea, the section talking about wives submitting to their husbands. Uh, and then the next section was children, obey your parents. And now today this section is slaves, obey your masters. 
slaves, obey your masters. Uh, I think it's funny that uh, my pastor had me come all the way back from Africa to talk about slavery. <laughs> but uh, I, the Bible is, um, what do you say, might be kind of frustrating today, okay? But uh, these three pairs... Uh, as you study the New Testament, it's, it's interesting how the authors like sets of three, okay? And so here what you, you have wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, three sets of pairs, and these three pairs are normally existing in a home environment, okay? So this, this, uh, these instructions, and my head is not shaped the same way as Chad's, uh, I'm hoping I don't drop this stuff. Uh, these three pairs coexist in a home, okay? And so normally, if a wife is to submit to her husband, of course, they're in the home. And the husband is supposed to love the wife, by the way. It's not just one-way obligation. The husband is supposed to love the wife as much as Christ loves the church. That's pretty high bar set by Jesus Christ himself. Children obey the parents, and parents don't frustrate your children. Uh, this all happens in the home, but also slavery was so common in the Roman Empire that it would have been, if, if anybody was well-to-do, if they had uh, some financial success, it's quite likely that they would have had slaves, too, to run, help run their business and to take care of their home, uh, even to you know, kind of like be a nanny for the children and so forth. Uh, slavery was common. It's not like what we think about uh, back in our own history of the Civil War. Um, it was a little bit more business-like in that. But you know, I guess most, if you look at the Civil War, that was a lot about business too, uh, harvesting the fields and making money. Uh, but the slaves are supposed to obey their masters. And so uh, at, in Kenya, I teach at two Bible colleges and I found that my students really hate true and false questions uh, because they tend to be tricky. And I tell them, look, you know, even if you don't know the answer, just flip a, flip a coin. You, you, you got a 50% chance, you know. Uh, just try. Uh, so here's a test for you. I'll be collecting these after the service and grading your papers. <laughs> I am a slave, true or false. Slavery is condemned in the Bible, true or false. Okay, and I'm just going to leave that to you. But to start off, let's look at Leviticus 25 in the Old Testament. Leviticus 25 in the Old Testament. And there's quite a few verses here, so bear with me. Leviticus 25:39. Oh man, that's a lot of text. So, now you're in a quandary because there's a biological hazard up here, but you're gonna, if you've got to get close enough to read this, you're gonna <laughs> uh, well, I hope you have access to a Bible where you are. Uh, Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 39, this is the law of God. So, uh, a lot of times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to Moses. 
Moses said this and Moses said that. Uh, but really what Moses was saying was what God was telling him to say. And so it's God, the son, quoting God in the Gospels when he's quoting Moses. But, so here's Moses in the law. Verse 39, Leviticus 25, verse 39. And if one of your brethren, Jews, okay, Israelis, if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant, a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. Now, Jubilee, God set up a system where uh, most of farming uh, work would be done in six years, and then there would be a seventh year of rest, Sabbath, a whole year of Sabbath, rest. And they would do that seven times, so then you got 49, and then the 50th year would be the year of Jubilee. So two years in a row, they were supposed to let the land rest. But also in the year of Jubilee, there were a lot of wonderful things, joyful things that were supposed to happen in the year of Jubilee, like a slave was supposed to be released. So they could look forward to the year of Jubilee to have their freedom again and, and return to their possessions. Uh, verse 41, then he shall depart from you and he and his children with him and shall return to his own family and he shall return to the possession of his fathers for they are my servants. Anybody have an NIV? Uh, in, uh, where I lost my place here. Verse 42, it says, my servants. What does yours say? My my servants too. That word for servants is actually slaves. They are my slaves. Israel belongs to God. You, know, you use a lot of redemption language. What does redemption mean? He paid for them. They belong to him. They are his possession. They're his slaves. And that's what God says. They are my servants whom I brought up out of, Egypt, out of the land of Egypt they shall not be sold as slaves. Why? Because they're his. <laughs> you don't sell mine to somebody else. Uh, verse 43, you shall not rule over him with rigor or uh, harshly, okay, because they're, they belong to, to God. They belong to Yahweh. But you shall fear your God. Now, just a side note, you should be careful how you treat each other uh, sometimes uh, maybe Dale Ferguson can get on your nerves. <laughs> Ask Bonnie. <laughs> but you be careful with him because he has a master above you. <laughs> okay? And so we should be careful how we treat each other. You hear that, Joe Jackson? If... if uh, uh, you guys, you ain't been around for a while. This guy, he might get up and rush the platform, and I would appreciate if somebody would kind of trip him up and give me a chance to escape out the back door. Uh, my servants whom I brought up out of Egypt, they shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor. You shall fear your God. And uh, as for your male and female slaves, in verse 44... As for your male and female slaves, 
whom you may have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Isn't that curious? In the law of God, you may buy male and female slaves from the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land, and they shall become your property. And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. Now, whoops. if a sojourner or a stranger close to you becomes rich, so somebody from the outside, if a Gentile becomes rich, and... One of your, your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family after he is sold. He may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or anyone who is near of kin to him in his family may redeem him. And if he is able to be, uh, he may be uh, redeem himself. If he's got the money himself, if he can come up with it. Thus, verse 50, he shall reckon with him who bought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years from the year that he was sold to him to the year of Jubilee. It shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him. And if there are still many years remaining, according to them, he shall repay the price of his redemption from the money with which he was bought. So there's a fairness in the law. You're not going to cheat anybody. Okay, if somebody, if something is owed, it needs to be paid, but just be fair. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, then he shall reckon with him, and according to his years, he shall repay him the price of his redemption. Verse 53, he shall be with him as a yearly hired servant, and shall not rule with rigor over him in your sight, and if he is not redeemed in these years, then he shall be released in the year of Jubilee. And uh, he and his children with him, for the children of Israel are servants to me, says God. They are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. When you see capital L, capital O, capital, that's Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your God. That's the covenant name of God. And so he treats Israel a little bit differently. Well, let's say quite a bit differently because they are his people. And the rules are a little bit different when you're talking about Gentiles becoming slaves. Uh, just, a, just a few things. Uh, blatantly, God doesn't say slavery is immoral. Slavery is a sin. Now, uh, we're in Yankee land. Uh, that probably makes us feel a little uncomfortable. But it's God. Uh, you can't argue with God. God is the master of what is right and wrong. He's the one who gives the definitions. This is sin. That is not. And so forth. And you see that uh, even slavery is incorporated in the law. This is how you do it. And this is how you don't do it. These are the rules. Number two, uh, you see revolving in this is the idea of finances. 
people can get themselves into financial trouble and wind up being in financial slavery. Uh, that's a problem. I remember when Michelle and I were uh, young, we went to college, we had a couple of pieces of plastic that uh, could buy a lot, and we dug a pretty deep hole, got ourselves into some financial trouble. Now, thankfully, uh, Michelle's the smarter financial partner in this uh, partnership, but uh, she helped us to where we got out of the hole of debt, paid it off, and then we felt some freedom from that. When you get yourself too deep into debt, it may not actually be that somebody owns you like a slave, but it can sure feel a lot like slavery because you're working for somebody, <laughs> and it's not... It is not entirely you. You're trying to pay off all your debts. And so that's uh, one real reason why some people wound up in slavery. Another, of course, in the Roman Empire, a lot of it had to do with military conquest. The Romans would come in. They would defeat a town and take what they wanted because they're the victors. They get the spoils. And so they took whoever and whatever they wanted and that meant taking people as slaves. Uh, it's nothing new. As you read the book of Genesis, uh, you find out that there was some sons of Jacob, uh, all brothers, who sold a brother into slavery. Now, you know the story of Joseph. He went to Egypt. He became the most powerful man in the land except by one, the Pharaoh himself. You know what that means? Jake, Joseph was the master of the whole land, except he was still a slave of Pharaoh. Pharaoh owned Joseph. Uh, so slavery, uh, God used it as part of his plan to make things happen. He brought Israel down to Egypt and formed them into a nation, caused them to multiply into a nation, and then he worked from there. All right, so let's go to the next step. Let's go to Deuteronomy, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, 15, 12. Deuteronomy 15, 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, Hebrew, Hebrew is a Jew, is an Israeli. All same, same dude, okay, same person, same woman, same man, uh, same nationality. If your brother, a Hebrew man, or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine press and from what the Lord has blessed you with. And you shall give to him and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant 
in serving you six years. And then your Lord, the Lord your God will bless you in all that you will do. And so God didn't just say, okay, they're, they're going to serve for six years. You're going to set them free, and they're just on their own after that. He says, you need to be a blessing to them. You need to give to them. But uh, on the other hand, he doesn't say you can't make your Hebrew brothers and sisters slaves, okay? So he's, he's uh, redefined the arrangement. Now, I'm sure that what was said in Leviticus still holds. You're not supposed to treat them harshly. Uh, supposed to treat them with some respect due to a fellow child of God, a fellow child of Yahweh. But you see how this is treated here. Uh, now, let's go to the New Testament. This might be a little bit more comfortable. Uh, in the New Testament, let's look at Romans 6. Romans 6, beginning in verse 15. Now, the topic here is, is sin, sin and the believer, okay? And so this talks about our relationship, the Christian's relationship with sin. Uh, Paul is the author of this. He writes in verse 15, what then? And I like Paul's manner of writing. He likes to teach with questions. Uh, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. God forbid. Uh, Paula Smith is uh, my uh, Swahili-speaking sister here. And in the Swahili, it says, Lahasha. God forbid, Lahasha. <laughs> Which, <laughs> that's pretty easy to remember. Uh, certainly not. You, don't, you shouldn't even think that way. Verse 16, do, not, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that through you, uh, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. True or false, I am a slave. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. That's Paul's teaching here. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then of the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, are you saved? Who is your master? Who are you a slave of? True or false, I am a slave. God is your owner. Having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. and the end, everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, 
that's pretty easy. I like the way that Paul makes this contrast. Either you're, you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. A slave to unrighteousness or a slave to God. Take your pick. If you've chosen Christ as your Savior, you've made your choice, but you're always a slave to something. Always a slave to something or somebody. And then finally, let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. This, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is uh, a little problematic, maybe, as you read it. Uh, Paul says that if a man has virgin daughters, it's up to him whether he allows them to be married or not. And our American uh, sense of liberty, we're thinking, man, they should be able to get married if they want to get married. Let them get married. Uh, But there's something going on for the Corinthians as Paul is writing this letter. They're under uh, religious persecution because they're believers. They're being persecuted because of their faith. And so as you follow through Paul's arguments in chapter 7, what he's saying is wherever you're at, stay the same. And basically, hunker down. (laughs) You're already under the fire. Just hunker down and try to survive this. And then after that, then... Uh, well, he doesn't really say that, but after, after the persecution, you, you'll be able to you know, exercise your freedom a little more. Uh, but that's the whole reason why, uh, as you read through 1 Corinthians 7, that he's saying, stay where you are, stay how you are, stay where you are. Okay, so that's at least the environment of this. In verse 17, he says, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordained in all the churches, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. And while anyone, uh, was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Now, verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. What was your circumstances when you got saved? Stay there because... The environment's hot. (laughs) The environment is antagonistic. Now, here's a peculiar thing in verse 21. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Just continue. So, were you called while being a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you become, if you can be made free, rather use it. Use your freedom. Be free. Use it for the Lord. But if you could be made free, rather use it. Verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. True or false? I am a slave. (laughs) You're a slave of God, a slave of righteousness, a slave of Christ. Uh, It's funny you know, repeatedly through the New Testament, repeatedly through the Scriptures, you see how God just turns things upside down. You think you're free? You're actually a slave. You think you're a slave? In Christ, you're actually free. (laughs) Uh, Verse 23, you were bought at a price. That's slave language. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Okay, now, 
Uh, you could become a slave by uh, being conquered as a people, military conquering. Uh, you could become a slave financially. Uh, there's, there's other ways of be- becoming a slave. But you get the idea that back in the, in the Roman Empire, there, there were slaves. Some estimate that there was uh, about 30% of the population was slaves. And it's really not a shock or a mystery, if you understand that, why when Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, which was a pretty big city, uh, that he's also addressing this topic of slavery. This is how you husbands and wives should behave in the home. And in these three pairs, if you go back to the top, he starts with the bottom and goes to the top, okay? So who has the less authority, and then he moves to the one who has the most authority, So wives, obey your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. But then he also gives advice and direction to those that have authority. But for this this time, let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, and let's see what Paul has to say about slaves. Now, uh, maybe just to take some pressure off, uh, it's pretty clear right now in this environment. Uh, I don't think anybody owns anybody else here. I mean, maybe you could say that you own your son, at least while he's under your roof. You're in charge of him. Uh, But there's coming a day where he'll he'll get old enough and he'll shake off the chains and be free. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we have something similar, at least in circumstances, as far as employment. Okay, you have a job, uh, you have an employer who you are responsible to, and so that's about the, the, the closest parallel that we can come with this slave-master equation is employee-employer uh, situation today. Okay, and so if we can just kind of carry some of these things over to, the, to our current life, our uh, modern life, that's my intent with these passages, with these teachings. All right, so bond servants, or we could say employees, uh, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now, the word bond uh, servants, I think maybe in the NIV it says slaves. That's a more accurate translation. Uh, be obedient to those who are your masters. And the word for master is, is uh, the same thing as the word for Lord. When it's talking about Christ, kurios, Lord, uh, this word for masters is the same word, Lord, Lord. And by the way, Jesus is called the Lord of Lords. So, you, you know, you see the hierarchy. Uh, to be obedient, bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. And so he's setting that apart. According to the flesh... According to the, the, the world of humanity, we're not talking about uh, their relationship with Christ yet. We're talking about their relationship with their masters here on earth. And in our modern day, we can say your relationship with your employer. Your employer uh, expects you to do a particular job uh, so many hours a week, uh, so much quality, volume, whatever, and he intends to pay you for your labor uh, and so you owe him as much as he owes you, okay, in that transaction. Uh, those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. 
Now, I think the NIV says uh, with respect, with fear and respect. Uh, this is the same phrase that's used in Philippians 2.12. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Same, same phrase. Uh, but the idea of respect is there, so no, no complaints really. Uh, it's the idea that we're supposed to respect those whose authority is over us. Okay, does that make sense? We should work for them with a sense of respect. Uh, as to Christ, and that really bumps it up to a high level, and that's kind of uh, the way Christ operates, isn't it? When you read the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, you see how uh, people are supposed to behave. In fact, even in the whole Sermon on the Mount, he takes uh, Old Testament principles, Old Testament standards, and he raises them up higher than we can achieve. Uh, God wants us to be holy. Uh, in fact, as Peter repeats in his letter, he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, this is God's standard. Now, Do you have a job? Do you like your boss? I'd imagine uh, there's a respectable percentage of people that have a job. You're an employee, but maybe your boss is not very likable. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Paul says, basically God says through Paul, we're supposed to respect our boss as if we're respecting Christ, okay? And may, maybe that'll help you. Uh, my boss isn't very rational. Uh, my boss uh, tells me to do things that don't make sense. I'm down here doing the work. I can see at, at the employee's level what needs to be done and how it needs to be done, and he doesn't even understand how it works down here. Well, except for one thing. He's the one who's, who pays you. <laughs> and so... Uh, maybe just remove him a little bit from the equation and think I'm going to obey this because I'm obeying my Lord, my Master, Jesus Christ. Let me obey this by obeying Christ. And let me honor Christ by doing what may feel like nonsense down here. You follow? And so that's what he's saying. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. And so, you can earnestly try to serve what's required of you as if you're serving Christ. Uh, that's helpful to me. I hope it's helpful to you. That's what I would like to do. I'd like to serve as if I'm serving Christ because we are. Verse 6, not with eye service. Uh, that comes very literally from, from the Greek. Paul takes two words, eyes and slavery. So the very literally, overly literally, it's eye slavery. Uh, you ever talk to anybody who's, uh, you know, how, how's it going at work? And they say, well, I'm just slaving away. You know, we kind of use that figurative terminology. That's the, that's the terminology here, eye slaving. Uh, slave, and, and really the idea is, is that when somebody, when the, when the authority comes and he's seeing you, you give the appearance of working. You ever working with a crew and maybe you're just uh, taking a break and you're just talking about stuff and then somebody says, hey, look busy. Here comes the boss. Oh! <laughs> then you grab, a, 
you grab a broom, you grab a pencil, you start typing some keys and it doesn't make sense, but you're doing, looking busy, looking busy. <laughs> That's the idea, eye service, eye slavery. In other words, I'm going to look faithful when the boss sees me. That's not how we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to be faithful even when we're not being seen. And that's what Paul is saying. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Uh, that's a funny uh, thing there, uh, from the heart. It's actually from the soul. Uh, in the Greek, it's talking about the soul. Uh, you ever see the commercial um, uh, Cardia Mobile? Cardia Mobile? Cardia is Greek for heart. That's not this word. This word is sushi, which is soul. And so how are you supposed to serve? It's not as if I'm going to get busy and look busy. I'm going to be busy from my whole person, my whole life, my whole soul. I'm putting myself into this because that's what my Christ expects. That's what my God expects. I want to be a good servant. I want to be a good employee. I want to do a good job. Uh, I remember some years ago talking to Ricky Smith, and he's talking about doing a job at, uh, where he was working, and he worked hard at being fast and efficient. Remember telling me that? <laughs> Even to the point where his crew members, people around him were saying, slow down, man. Slow down. You're making us look bad. <laughs> I guess that's the problem when you start putting your heart and your soul into what you're doing. And maybe that's what it looks like when you're working for Christ, is that you're doing it the best you can. Uh, that's a good example. That's a good testimony. Uh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, from the very soul, giving it all you've got. Verse 7, with good will. Doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Okay, and so trying to have a, uh, the right attitude of doing your job, doing it for the right reason, and trying to be a benefit to the person who's paying you. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I would think that. That goes even a, a lot into what you're doing here. Uh, did you come here because you were offered a lot of money? No, <laughs> I'm sure you're sorely disappointed <laughs> if that was the case. No, this whole operation of the band, uh, singing, playing instruments, is to lead us to worship God. There's a higher value, a much higher value. And the money puts bread on the table. That's a good thing. Uh, but... Uh, working for the Lord is, uh, that is where the payoff comes, is doing what we do for God. But that even works in the place of employment. If you work at Walmart, do it for Christ. If you're working out in the fields, do it for Christ. Wherever you, uh, Caterpillar, <laughs> wherever, do it for Christ. That's the idea that Paul is talking about here. And so, how do we do it? 
uh, how to obey, reason to obey for the notes. Maybe that was, is that up there? Uh, how to obey, reason to obey in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Uh, you've heard the principle, uh, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. That's what Paul is saying in verse 8. You put your heart into it. You put your soul into it. You do a good job for Christ, and it's Christ who's going to pay you. <laughs> that's, that's where the real payoff comes. It's Christ who's watching what you do, and it's Christ who's going to give you rewards for what you do for him. Uh, if you look at, and I'm not going to go there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul talks about uh, judgment on uh, silver, gold, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, a judgment by fire. Those are the things you do for Christ, not for yourself. Okay, if I'm up here to magnify the name of Greg, I'm up here for the wrong reason. Uh, if, if you guys uh, think I'm really doing a great job, then this all just accumulates to wood, hay, and stubble. Just wood, hay, and stubble. It just all burns up to ashes. It's not worth anything. But if, if we do what we do for Christ, it's a higher value. It's a higher reward. In fact, the way that Paul explains it, it, it survives fire. It becomes an eternal reward. And that's what we're looking for, isn't it? Uh, so when you're at work, it may seem mundane. It may seem overly repetitive, or maybe you don't even see how it's going to, you know, uh, be valuable in uh, relation to eternity, but it can be if you do it for Christ, and Christ is the one who sees what you do and why you do it, and he's the one who rewards you when you're doing it for him. That's what he's looking for. Now, on to masters in verse 9, and this is a pretty short verse. Uh, you masters, do the same things to them. What same things? Operate your business, if you're an employer, as if you're operating for Christ. Treat your employees as if Christ is watching, because he is. <laughs> and so, try to be Christ-like in how you exercise your authority over your employees. Now, uh, this is in the context of slavery. This would have been upside-down world for a Roman slave master. You telling me I need to treat my slaves kindly? What are you saying? There's no way this would make sense outside of the context of Christianity and faith because it's, it's Christ who makes this idea makes sense in that we're supposed to treat each other humanely. You saw that even back in the law, uh, Mosaic law. God said, don't treat your brothers and your sisters in a way that you would treat others outside of this community. Well, because you're saved, I should treat you different than somebody who's lost out there. You're my brother in Christ. It only makes sense. You're my sister in Christ. Why wouldn't I treat you differently? And so somebody who's in authority, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then that's how you should try to operate. 
uh, knowing that you have your own master. And the people that you have authority over have that same master, and he's watching you. You masters do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, and knowing your own master who is also in heaven. Giving up, threatening. Uh, in, in, the, in the slave master context, it could be a number of things. I'm going to take your children away. I'm going to take your wife away. Uh, I'm going to have you beaten. Uh, I'm going to, like Pharaoh with Israel, I'm going to increase your workload and take away uh, the help of giving you straw to make bricks. And now you're on your own in that. So threatening. I mean, you can get the idea even from biblical history. Uh, Paul says, don't do that. God says, don't do that. Don't, don't rule uh, just with threats, threatenings. Don't do that. Uh, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And so how to rule, am I getting that right? Yeah, how to rule and reason for restraint. There we go. I got it right. Okay, cool. Uh, the reason for restraint is knowing that we have the same master. He's watching us, and we will reap what we sow. If we're in a position of authority, God is watching us. We need to be careful how we exercise our authority because we need to be Christ-like. We need to reflect our master as we lead, as we rule, and that's important. So, in the workplace, uh, we need to behave ourselves according to book, chapter, and verse, according to the Bible. Uh, we need to operate, we need to behave ourselves in a way that reflects our true master, Jesus Christ, that when we do what we do, we're serving a higher cause than just maybe what seems to be the mundane world down here. Uh, this world of flesh, uh, that we are serving a higher uh, Lord, a master who expects quite a bit from us, actually. And so we should put our heart and our souls into it and produce in a way that's pleasing to our God.